Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the conversation. We got a great guest for you guys, Andrew Belinsky. He is executive counselor in New Hampshire, which is a very high position in that state. Uh, he's running for governor uh, and he's a true progressive. Um, Bernie Sanders has endorsed him. And uh, that's pretty good indication that you're a good progressive. So, Andrew, uh, welcome to the conversation. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very proud of that endorsement. I think I'm one of two gubernatorial candidates in the nation uh, endorsed by Senator Sanders. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. So, uh, let, let's talk about New Hampshire. Uh, first of all, you have Democratic primary coming up on September 8th. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, I read the local uh, news, and they say that uh, you and your opponent are very similar on policy. Now, that's usually what the media does to try to get people not to vote for progressives. Right. Uh, <laughs> but you tell me, um, uh, what are the biggest distinctions between you and your opponent in the primary? Well, let let's start here. Most of what I know about New Hampshire state government, I learned by suing it. I organized a team that challenged the state on how we fund our schools in the 90s. And we proved how unfair it was and how quality was all over the place in our state. Uh, we convinced the Supreme Court to recognize a constitutional right to a state funded public education. It was a really bold idea, but for lack of political leadership, the states never complied with the cases. And if anything, our situation is more dire now than it was then. So one of the biggest motivations for me to run for governor is to realize the fulfillment of the promise of those cases, that kids across the state have a right to a strong, high quality public education, and that taxpayers should pay their fair share and not two and three and four times as much just to give the people in the wealthiest towns a break, which is what happens here. So the first big difference between me and the other guy is I'm gonna have that discussion about how broken our tax system is. The other guy thinks he can close loopholes and find enough money in between the cushions on the state house couch to fix the problem. We need to have a serious discussion in New Hampshire about how we raise money and do it fairly. That's number one. Number two is I oppose the fracked gas pipeline that was planned for southeastern New Hampshire by a local utility. My opponent and the governor both support it. We three each got the same briefing by the utility. I walked away with grave questions about the economics of the project. 
about the climate change implications, they walked away with checks. I've never taken fossil fuel money. I refuse to take corporate PAC money in this race. As a matter of fact, there's a video that's somewhat famous in my state of me tearing up a $500 check uh, that came unsolicited from a Fortune 100 company that was trying to influence my vote on a state contract. Um, those are differences. So when you say that uh, they got checks, what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, they took campaign contributions from the utility that was trying to get this fracked gas pipeline permitted. My opponent on the Democratic side took $1,700. The governor took even more in a couple of different ways. It's, It's a huge difference between us. My campaign has smashed all the records on how many contributors we have. My opponent has lots of checks with commas. It's a very different approach. Uh, I I know the feeling, Uh, and you can't beat a Republican playing by Republican um, uh, rules. And the Republican rules are take all the corporate money you can and serve them. Uh, That's exactly how Democrats have lost a thousand seats across the country. So so it it does appear to be a big, big difference. And obviously, look, Bernie Sanders uh, endorsing you uh, gives people an excellent idea of where you stand on most of the issues. Um, so um, you also worked with Bernie Sanders, didn't you? Yeah, I was Bernie's lawyer in 2016. Uh, Senator Sanders was challenged um, because he's an independent. Some people tried to kick him off the primary ballot in 2016. I'm the lawyer who did the hearing that kept him on the ballot um, and started really his his dramatic run for the White House. Um, when I signed on with Senator Sanders in the summer of 15, I thought he'd get a couple of points in the New Hampshire primary. I just wanted to keep the policy issues that he's so well known for alive in the debate. And then we wound up winning New Hampshire by 21 points in 2016. We won it again in 2020 uh, by fewer points, but that's because everyone was trying to Um, act as if they were progressives and adopted a lot of the policy position that Bernie Sanders has championed for so, so long. Okay, and you're taking no corporate PAC money? No corporate PAC money. Um, This this is when I give the website, uh, (laughs) valenskynh.com. So guys, if if someone say, you can see it right there, valenskynh.com, in case you can't spell it, uh, <laughs> the links are down below. If you're watching this later on YouTube or Facebook, they're easy to click them in the description box uh, for both donations and volunteers. This is how progressives win. We yeah. stick together, we fight together, we win together. Uh, and yes, there is a giant difference between progressives and people pretending to be progressives. And, uh, and, and look, Andrew fought for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is now fighting for him. You get a sense of, of who's on which side of New Hampshire. Now, let's turn to the Republicans. Um, Look, Andrew, I get frustrated uh, when Republicans win sometimes gubernatorial seats in blue states like Vermont. It drives me nuts. Uh, And New Jersey, et cetera. New Hampshire is more of a swing state. But even so, uh, I'm still pretty furious about it. I I think Democrats run very ineffectual uh, campaigns, generally speaking, against uh, Republicans. How would you run in the general election to defeat Sununu? 
I'd make Sununu defend the property tax. Property tax has gone up by more than any um, any other governor's term during Sununu's term, $320 million. That's a problem. That's killing the economy of our state, making it hard for people to stay in their homes. Seniors are worried about losing their homes um, because of the property tax. That's Sununu's fault. The other thing is Sununu's from a family of climate change deniers. His two brothers were just at FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, trying to undermine solar energy throughout the country. He's undermined it here in New Hampshire, but they tried to implement federal regulations to undermine solar across the country. Their family is a huge problem if you care about the climate and the environment. So Andrew, uh, Republicans theoretically don't wanna raise taxes. Why did he raise property taxes? He raised it because that's how he balanced the state budget. So he claimed to balance the state budget, but really all he did is shift state responsibilities down to the local level and make us pay for it with our local property taxes. It kept the business taxes low. But he didn't realize that businesses in New Hampshire pay twice as much in property taxes as they pay in business taxes. So perversely, he made it worse even for the businesses in our state. But he got to claim that he balanced the budget. He did it on the backs of hardworking people who pay their property taxes every six months. So Andrew, how would you do it differently? How would I do it differently? First, education is a state responsibility. And so instead of the state making the local district pay for three quarters of the cost of education, three quarters of it needs to be paid for at the state level with state funds. That would even out all of the unfairness that currently exists. You know, Mitt Romney has a $10 million estate on the lake here in New Hampshire. He pays one of the lowest property tax rates of any community in the state. And if you can buy yourself a big house, pay for admission to one of those wealthy communities, you too can have low property taxes. But you do it because you drive up the property taxes on everyone else around you. It's a totally unfair system and we need to call it out for that. And we need to make sure that the blame lies where it should lie with Chris Sununu. Okay, so you obviously education is a huge part of, of your campaign here to get fair and equal education across New Hampshire. What are your other top priorities? Combating climate change. Sununu hasn't met a pipeline project that he doesn't love. He tried to advance this fracked gas pipeline project and an electricity transmission project called Northern Pass. He's taken more than $100,000 from the electric utility here in our state in inauguration funds. They're not even accounted for. He wound up giving a bunch of it to family members and to himself. That's how loose Sununu is with his ethics. So climate change, Sununu will never do anything about it. He's a clear climate change denier. We're in trouble, we need to take action quickly on the climate. I'm a Green New Deal fan. I would do it as a regional Green New Deal, teaming up with my colleagues in 
Vermont and Maine, the other northern New England states create green jobs. New Hampshire is worst in New England for solar power. We get 1% of our electricity from solar power. Vermont gets 12%. That's all because of Sununu clamping down on incentives and making it harder to do solar and wind in New Hampshire. So Andrew, last question. Uh, How's the local media been? Because I I referenced that one article that I I read about uh, how they said you and your uh, primary opponent are similar and it didn't sound that way in the details of the argument, but they said over and over again, we wanna pound it in people's heads. Hey, don't like, remember, they're they're both progressive or whatever it is that's gonna get you to elect a moderate. But that's just one article. Uh, So when you talk about how, look, Sununu and my primary opponent are taking money from the people we're supposed to regulate, uh, is the media responsive to that, or are they like, "How dare you? Uh, these are our beloved politicians you're criticizing." Yeah, um, it's a mixed bag with the media here in New Hampshire. Um, many are terribly stressed for resources, um, can't send reporters uh, to cover events, uh, don't do deep dives that are factual and detailed, and so a lot of the differences get lost and it's easy for them to gloss over everyone's a progressive kind of lines. That's a problem. There are a couple of exceptions to that um, that are worthy of note. But for the most part, the media is not pushing the governor on his insider sweetheart contracts. He holds his press conferences. There are no hard questions asked of him. He's given airtime every other day for his press conferences, much like Trump did, he's got the Trump playbook. He talks to Pence all the time. That's the advantage that's given to Chris Sununu by our local media, and we need to call it out. All right, Andrew Belinsky running for governor in New Hampshire could make a big, big difference. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew, really appreciate it. Oh, Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, my honor to be here, thank oh. you. All right, we're back on a conversation. We've got a great guest and a great progressive for you guys. Zephyr Teachout joins us. She's run for Congress and Governor of New York. She obviously was a big advocate of Bernie Sanders in this election and the previous one. And she's got a new book out, Break Them Up, Recovering Our Freedom from Big Ag, Big Tech, and Big Money. Zephyr, welcome back to the Young Turks. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really uh, love being on. Oh, thank you, appreciate it. Uh, okay, but this time uh, we're, we're gonna have some fun. And uh, and I, I think that um, I'm not sure that you and I completely agree on some of these things. So uh, having given that preview, uh, <laughs> let's get into but it. That, and that's why I wrote the book is to have real conversations. <laughs> exactly. uh, I, I think a lot of the, a lot of progressives don't agree with these ideas and I'm, I'm trying to persuade people. <laughs> All right. So, uh, look, there's there's two things that I want to address. Uh, first, uh, on monopolies, uh, obviously there are huge problems, so we don't disagree on that. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, but uh, I I would argue that the source of the problem is the corruption, which allows any company to buy off any politician, thereby uh, allowing them to accrue power and to keep that power. Uh, rather than the monopoly power in the first place. That if we had uh, campaign finance laws that were rational, we wouldn't have had these monopolies in the first place. And 
And so that to me seems like the bigger problem and rather than the monopolies accruing power and then using it. You, okay. you see what I'm saying? Totally, this actually relates to why I wrote the book. I have spent most of my career focused on anti-corruption, changing the way we fund elections. I wrote about Citizens United before it happened actually, a plea to justices not to let this happen and have really focused on the corrupting power of money in politics. And it is no joke, it is totally destroying, decaying self-governance. Um, but I came to believe that campaign finance alone was not sufficient and that we needed campaign finance in conjunction with um, actually taking on these, these power sources that, as I argue in the book, are really forming kind of private governments that are coexisting along with um, very problematic, but democratic self-government. So when you have companies like Amazon that employ 800,000 people, but also are the sort of key choke point for sellers, their governmental systems matter more to sellers than a lot of the public government. The intellectual property regime, the regulations of Amazon, the, their systems are the, are the governing systems for millions of Americans. And, and then they also take the uh, extraordinary profits that they reap from their monopoly position and plow that back into politics. So it's a dynamic interaction between the two. And we have to address campaign finance, but campaign finance alone if you allow this a mass of both capital and power um, is insufficient. And for most of American history, we understood this. <laughs> you know that, that uh, basically that private power, when it got big enough, could turn into a form of uh, functionally government. And we would just say, hey, you know, whatever kind of company you are, we're not gonna let you get so big and control these choke points um, unless you're regulated as a public utility or, uh, or nationalized. Um, uh, because otherwise you're gonna, it's a rival form of oligarchic power. Yeah, look, I think that these corporations have now become not only nation states, but bigger and stronger and more powerful than nation states, corporate states, if you will. So we're on the same page there, but I'm gonna press on on one distinction here. I think that for most of American history, we did take out monopolies. That's because for most of American history, we had not legalized bribery. And we legalized bribery in 1976 and 1978, let alone Citizens United that came later. And and so if you had to pick one to do first, what would you do first? Get money out of politics or end the monopolies? Okay, well, before I answer your question, I wanna say that 1976 was a terrible year for American law, not just because of Buckley versus Vallejo, you know, and it's like just sort of gross that it comes exactly 200 years after 1776. And Ben Franklin had said, "Oh, I think maybe we can last a couple hundred years. In 1776, you get this money is speech decision in Buckley. It's also the same year the Supreme Court really recognized a commercial speech as protected. And, and I actually, I totally agree with you. I, I agree that, um, that one of the main reasons that the Clintons and Democrats um, did not 
you know, Re Reagan destroyed antitrust law, just came in and installed judges and, uh, and uh, uh, key enforcers who didn't believe in antitrust, anti-monopoly, changed the definitions. And then Democrats came along and accepted the new definitions, <laughs> accepted the new framework. Yeah, of course. Uh, like as long as we, as long as prices are cheap, we don't have a we don't have a problem with private power, which is crazy. But it's been the, the model for 40 years. And I agree with you that a, a root reason for that is um, the changing way of, of funding campaigns. Um, yeah. But having said that, I guess the reason I think this is important politically, and so I, I, I reject your choice. I think, um, and I do, and I actually include campaign finance um, reform as itself an anti-monopoly provision. Like you, 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 yeah. you, you can't talk about anti-monopoly and not talk about changing the way we fund campaigns. That's just it's it's not an honest way to talk about private power. But I reject the um, dichotomy because I think it's really important. Um, for progressives uh, or just you know people who want power over their own lives to go after the root of power and to start calling these corporations illegitimate, like to move past corporate accountability to corporate illegitimacy. Because mm -hmm. uh, we spend so much time begging them to be nicer <laughs> with uh, uh, corporate social responsibility campaigns no, or fighting on policy. It's like, okay, no, we, we see where the root of power is. We see what the root of power is doing. By the way, also funding voter suppression efforts. <laughs> um, yep. uh, and so like, let's go after the root of power. I mean, Amazon and, and Facebook and Google and Monsanto and Tyson, they all know that the ability to consolidate is important to their power. So they don't, why don't, they don't know something we should, we should, we should recognize what, what they are doing and fight on the framework of power and not just fight on the framework of policy. Yeah, now uh, I'm gonna challenge you on a second thing, but I, I want the audience to understand that this is an interesting intellectual exercise and conversations like this we should have, but don't get it twisted. Uh, I agree with Zephyr so much overall that I agree with her than more than I agree with Bernie Sanders. Uh, okay, uh, you were right about that editorial, a hundred percent right about Biden's corruption. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, so uh, now um, there's a lot of talk about the the social media companies and how we should yeah. take those guys down. But I actually think I got two issues with that. One, I think the the older monopolies are much more problematic. Um, Big oil is still getting tens of billions of dollars in subsidies. It's an unbelievable outrage, and and we can the banks and we can go on and on, right? And there's an upside to the social media companies that almost nobody talks about, and I'm worried that there's a downside to targeting them. A progressive company like ours could have never arisen in the old world of the NBCs, ABCs, and CBSs and CNNs of the world. Uh, they hate progressives. They're all multi-billion-dollar corporations that would never let us on. Uh, but Facebooks and Googles of the world are somewhat content-neutral, and they have allowed uh, progressives to rise up. So I worry that we're we're picking the wrong target there. And then if we go back to the bad old days and we break up the Facebooks and the Googles, we're going to be left with nothing but horrible mainstream media instead. Okay, so um, uh, maybe you are okay with with Facebook for a minute, uh, but two things. One, um, when it comes to genuine 
broad, decentralized uh, flourishing of local media. Uh, Facebook and Google have been thieves and murderers. Um, unlike, say, the internet, people often uh, conflate the internet with Facebook and Google. And I think we have to be very clear that you can still have an internet uh, without Facebook and Google organized as they currently are. And I think for both of them, the real problem is the business model as well as monopolization, that they their business model is uh, a targeted ads business model. Um, that right now, they um, have so much control over access to readers, watchers, listeners, um, that they are making money off the content that journalists are creating. And so they're like, they're, they are like a classic you know, highway robber standing there saying, hey, you can have access to these great audiences, but by the way, we're gonna advertise and ourselves take the money um, uh, next to the articles that are shared on your platforms. And so one thing that I think is is um, really problematic is the way in which they're they're really just being a essential role in destroying the news. But second, I don't trust Mark Zuckerberg. You know, right now he can make or break you um, and make or break the news. And this is not a long-term strategy to say, well, I like the king for this week. Um, because he's nice to me. We actually shouldn't trust in any kings. And you're right that we that there we needed more media decentralization many years ago. There aren't the good old days when it comes to media concentration, but the current days are really dangerous. Yeah, we're out of time and it's such a great conversation. Let's pick it back up. But look, in your analogy, I, I view the road as a road that Google and Facebook allowed us on, then take a toll. Whereas the CNN and New York Times would have never allowed us on the road in the first place. God help us if we're in their hands again. They loathe us way more than Google or Facebook ever does. So, you know, it's it's so. So are you are you really saying that you think that because you 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 got an in for a minute, you want to live with this oligarchy? I think you can't. No, be saying no, no, no. But yeah. Zephyr, but we had the oligarchy anyway. It was and it was a worse oligarchy. It was the CNNs of the world saying you're not allowed on the road at all. We're just gonna ban you. I mean, here your so-called liberal network is MSNBC, which hates progressives more than everyone else combined. I mean, this is the sick oligarchy that we lived in before Facebook and Google. So by comparison, this oligarchy is slightly better. For a minute. But I guess I think that like, and one of the, my goals in this book is for progressives to aim a lot higher. Is to say, look, we can have a moral economy and we've got to stop like messing around the edges and go at the roots of power and demand a decentralized news network where we're not uh, you know, uh, happy this week with, uh, with these kings and begging them uh, in two weeks to, to, to get back on. A change to algorithm is you know, just the whims of, of, uh, of Zuckerberg can change um, our entire news environment. And I don't feel okay about that. Uh, I hear you, uh, it's, it's a great conversation, great book. Check out Break Em Up, I love the title too. Uh, so everybody check it out, Zephyr Teach Out, as always, uh, great to talk to you and, uh, and brilliant, thank you. Thank you so much.